listening to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mir, this afternoon. Let's turn to our first topic of today. In the next fifteen minutes or so, we're talking about addictions and what are the behaviours behind addicts, and what are some of the symptoms and causes, and whether you can truly cure an addiction. And to mull over this big topic, we're joined in the studio by Anna Fenton, the founder and the head counsellor at Counselling Confidential, a new private practice specialising in all addictions, and um, she specialises. Also in sex addiction, Anna. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Noreen. Nice to see you. So, first of all, how would you actually define an addiction? What is an addiction? Well, first of all, in the、uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM,、uh, which is sort of the bible of, of therapy, addiction is now acknowledged to be a disease, a disease, an actual illness. There's been some debate about this before, but now there's the, the jury is no longer out. This is absolutely for sure. So we could say. Uh, if we wanted to use a sort of slightly convoluted term, that it's a pathological relationship with a mood-altering experience、uh, with a disastrous life consequence. And how does an addiction work? Well,、um, let's start at the beginning. Addiction—the root of addiction—is in childhood. We could say it's partly genetic and partly to do with brain chemistry. So、uh, the genetic side, we could say that with take alcoholics for example, let's start with the idea that the disease is addiction. You're not just an alcoholic or just a drug addict. You have a predisposition to become addicted to something. What your drug of choice or no choice will be、um, is is going to be anything of a range of things. It can be sex. It can be drugs. It can be prescribed drugs. We can become addicted to our. Our,、uh, you know, our Xanax very easily. It can be shopping. It can be work. It can be alcohol. It can be our anger. We can become addicted to our own emotions. Risk is highly addictive. The adrenaline that we fuel our risk with is highly addictive too. These are sugar is a, is a very big one. Nicotine.、Uh, what we choose to be addicted to is very much dictated to by what's available and our culture. Now, take for example、um, an alcoholic. We cannot say there's a genetic predisposition to addiction. It, it's not easy to prove. However, if you take an alcoholic and ask them if there are any problem drinkers in their family, sixty percent of them are going to tell you there are. So you can draw a kind of re- reverse correlation, but you couldn't say a cause and effect directly. But show me an alcoholic who doesn't have an alcoholic in their family. Really, very unusual. So the roots of all this are in childhood.、Uh, Most theories now、um, come out of the idea that first of all, you've got this addictive history behind you, which predisposes your parents, perhaps not to be wonderful parents, because if they're battling addiction themselves or addiction in the near family, that's going to affect the family atmosphere. First and foremost, that kind of takes care of the genetic side of things. Then we also have childhood trauma, which is called development trauma. Now, this is not trauma like being blown up in a bomb. This is any kind of Uh, of、um, attachment with your caregivers that is not ideal, then this this、uh, can follow a continuum from neglect at one end to smothering at the other. Any of these can result in the child growing up with faulty self-esteem and a faulty 
uh, core belief in who they are and what they are. That's so interesting you mentioned that, Anna, because we often have this misconception that maybe addicts have, you know, come from a broken home or maybe um, a, a, a parent who wasn't really present. But it can they can also be coming from what's perceived as a very loving home. You know, both parents were there, but perhaps maybe on the smothering end. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's all about the, the, the ability of your caregiver to... Uh, communicate acceptance and good old unconditional love to the child. Now, this is all about the parents being able to process and handle their own emotional state too. If your mom is angry and resentful and full of negative emotions, you know, you're going to pick all that up off her and have a very negative feeling coming from her. So it's very much reliant on our parents. And it's not their fault, you know, they are who they are. Being able to communicate to us that we're valued just for being wonderful little us, not just for winning prizes and winning races. Um, if we do that, we grow up with a feeling of other esteem outside of ourselves, that we have to do things to get self-esteem. Um, and we don't get that feeling that we're just valued for, for doing nothing, just for being a human being. We have to be a human doing. So addicts are usually people with very low self-esteem. Well, the core beliefs of all addicts will tend to be uh, I'm a worthless person, I'm flawed, I'm not good enough. Now, the, the next one from that is if you really knew me, you wouldn't therefore like or love me. Uh, and that leads to uh, a feeling of lack of trust of other people. So those are the three pretty pernicious core beliefs of an addict. And they tend to make us even more focused on outside achievements so that we can prove to ourselves we're, we're worth it. So we can tend to become very much focused on overachieving and becoming very successful to give us some esteem for ourselves. Yeah. High functioning addicts in a way, because, you know, addiction can ruin your life. But in a sense, they've achieved something by being addicted to that um, chase or that adrenaline that they get from work, for example. Oh, absolutely. Work and success are two of the biggest addictions. And like with alcohol, the addict is having a love affair with their job or with their work because the core feeling of for an addict is shame. You know, remember, they've grown, grown up with really low self-esteem. So they wear this mask that they show to the outside world because they don't like themselves. They experience scorn for themselves. So they have to create a full An self, image, yes. a full self. And that can be the mask of that can be great success uh, in the eyes of other people. But deep down, there's still something that's missing. It's called the hole in the soul. And that's the problem. They grow up with emotional loneliness and hurt that goes way back into childhood about not being valued unless they were doing things. Yeah. Anna, you touched on a really, really excellent point earlier. And, you know, going back to that big debate on whether addiction is really a disease, um, because back in the day when there was less understanding of it, people would used to say, oh, no, these people are just weak. You know, they, they just have uh, low self-control. Um, is that also true in a way that those people naturally have a lower self-control? And, and is there really a, a difference between addiction and just doing something um, sometimes versus out of control? Um, <laughs> very big subject. The, the brain chemical we're talking about here primarily is something called dopamine, yes. which is uh, made in the pleasure and reward center of the old midbrain, the old reptilian part of the brain. Now, this is low in addicts. 
and you can often see uh, an addict in the making as teenagers they could be characterized by often being very bored uh, lacking purpose and meaning purpose and meaning also is generated in the pleasure and reward system in the same place in the brain they're the bored kid who doesn't belong who doesn't feel part of the cool gang who doesn't get the normal thrill of just being that other people get so they grow up with a feeling of otherness because they're operating off low dopamine this is the genetic part of it um, so then when they typically if you're an alcoholic in the making your first exposure to booze is like wow someone turned the lights on I'm fun I'm self-confident I can dance I'm cool so suddenly an addict is born like wow this is the answer to all of my problems and I need this to mm. become this this other person yeah, and I feel the way I can't feel I can forget my shame I can forget my low self-esteem because this makes me feel great Unfortunately, over time, of course, my solution becomes a bigger problem than the original problem was. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that it, most of the time it stems from some sort of trauma from childhood. We can't change our childhood. So then how do we manage to not let that affect us? Well, addicts are... I don't want to get hung up on the word trauma because people understand it as being a small, a big T and would look back on their childhood and go, you know, mom and dad were there. I had no trauma. Yes. It's more subtle than that. It's it's in how we end up feeling about ourselves. Do we have high self-esteem or other esteem? That means we need to get our worth from outside of ourselves. We can't generate it ourselves. Now, when we can't generate our own self-esteem, we have difficulty regulating our emotions. We're very much prey to our own feelings of doubt, worthlessness, uh, loneliness and, and hurt at our plight. We, we can feel quite sorry for ourselves. Addicts often fundamentally are quite angry people. They're often quite resentful and often have a feeling of self-pity and that life isn't fair because they can look at all their friends who feel great and they don't feel good. And that's not comfortable. Yeah. I, I've known some addicts before, but they're always having a great time and, and you'd never know that their life was spiraling out of control. Are addicts also quite good at hiding, hiding those um, feelings? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you see, addicts will go into what's called their ritual or their bubble. The, the first part of the disease of, is, is a mental one. It's, it's the obsession. And this is where to, to get out of your uncomfortable feelings, you overthink things. Mm. So once you've discovered what you're, you know, whether it's into whether you're into sex or drugs or whatever, food or work or gambling or gaming or shopping, whatever the myriad things you can be addicted to are, you think about it a lot. There's a mental obsession that takes you out of feeling. So that's a relief. Then you're planning. A lot of it, you see, dopamine is released. Dopamine is not actually the pleasure one. It's the neurotransmitter that, that controls tension rising and excitement. So it's the anticipation. So your drinker who starts planning on Monday, the great big drinking binge on Friday, his dopamine rush is starting on Monday and he's looking forward to it, building, building, building all week. So by Friday, he's already had lots of fun thinking about it. Similarly, your sex addict who's building up to an encounter is imagining, fantasizing, and fantasy is also highly addictive. And this is where the porn thing kicks in. So we're building, building, building dopamine until we actually get there. So by the time they're having fun, you know, you meet your drinker on a Saturday night or whenever, they're in their ritual, they're in their bubble, they're acting out. Now, the hangover part, in every sense, will be the following day. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, that's quite a long build-up. Are there, mm. you know, sometimes maybe the build-up is even shorter. Maybe it's oh, mon yeah. a Monday morning and they're already drinking by Monday evening. 
Well, you see, then you enter into the the kind of what's called the squirrel cage, which is that. Um, <laughs> what's a squirrel cage? A squirrel cage is the is where you've got yourself in a shame cycle, the classic addictive shame cycle, where your shameful feelings and your lack of self esteem have led you to act out and use whatever your drug of no choice is. So, as a consequence of that. Uh, you you feel terrible. You feel fresh shame when you wake up the following morning and feel terrible about what you did. So you're you're drinking in a way to deal with the effects of the drinking. So you're creating fresh shame out of the original shame, and that is that never-ending cycle of shame. So if you're a food addict, say, I was just thinking about that. I've emotional. Yeah. You know, I've had a bad day, and I think, oh, I'm going to have a slice of cake,、mm. and and you feel quite bad about it afterwards. And then the next day, you still feel a bit bad. And what do you do? You think, eat more. <laughs> you think I'm just going to finish. You know, yeah. And then there's, there's another one going on in there called the IBI, the I've blown it, which is if you've got all these rules around food. You know, if I have one bite of cake or one cookie, I have to eat the whole box. And、um, then you will trigger that triggers that. So you'll eat the whole lot. Then you'll binge,、yes. and then you feel absolutely terrible. And you feel so terrible that what do you do? You eat a little bit more.、Yes. Exactly. That's the squirrel cage. And and for drinkers, it's a particularly pernicious one. Yeah. Um, let's go a little bit、uh, back to、um, the twelve-step program because I think maybe some of our listeners are, are familiar with that. With, for example, with AA, with Alcohol Anonymous,、um, how does that work? And and is that very effective in treating、um, an addict? It's absolutely wonderful, and I strongly recommend and endorse anybody. To go,、uh, first of all, it is not about religion or God. That tends to be people's first defence <laughs> when they don't want to go. There are、uh, last count, I think there were 144 different 12-step programs. These were invented by the guys who founded Alcoholics Anonymous、uh, in a place called Akron,、um, Ohio, in the 1930s. And it came out of a Christian movement called the Oxford Movement, and this is why people think it's about God. The Big Book of AA、uh, is actually talking about、um, the God of your understanding, and they want you to have a spiritual life and, and have a higher power, which means a sense of being a human being in a spiritual world with a spiritual life. Addicts lack a spiritual life because their self-esteem is all messed up,、mm. and you need to feel good about yourself to be spiritual. So. Uh, the program of AA is twelve steps. It's a fellowship, so you go along to an anonymous meeting, which could be for cocaine addicts, that's CA, Narcotics Anonymous,、uh, which is all drugs. Could be Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, SLA, which is people who are addicted to sex, love, and relationships, and have toxic relationship patterns. I think there's even、um, ones that are as obscure as.、Um, Uh, nail polish remover sniffers anonymous,、wow. but that of course is in America.、Um, there's every kind for every kind of addiction. There's overeaters anonymous. You name it. These are confidential, anonymous groups of people. They're free. You meet in a in a room. You have、um, fellowship. Uh, you share. There's no crosstalk allowed. You share from your own experience, and you study the Big Book. Then again, you get a sponsor. Now, your sponsor is somebody who's already worked the program, and the program is the really effective part. It puts you through a rigorous personal program of change, and you pop out the other end feeling a whole lot better about yourself, and hopefully free of your compulsive behaviours. Can there yet can there be triggers that can make you relapse、um, also when you're following the twelve step program? Oh, you can as an addict, you're you're prone to lapse and relapse or slip at any time. And the important thing is to see this as feedback. And 
make you a, a good example of a, a, an opportunity to look at what led up to this because no relapse just happens yeah. it, it has a precursor of an emotional event um and and then learn that not put myself in that emotional discomfort again and become smarter about it yeah relapse prevention is a huge part of it but the whole 12-step program starts with 12 with number one which is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol in this case that our lives had become unmanageable and these are the two words of addiction i'm powerless over it my life becomes unmanageable and that's the test if you want to know am i addicted am i powerless over this behavior does it make my life unmanageable are the consequences just horrendous for me Absolutely. And I think finally, I think it goes to the point that can addicts truly be cured or are you an addict for life and you should really admit to it and that's what's going to help you to ultimately stop the addictive behavior? Well, let's look at it in the light of a similar thing, which is diabetes, which is a uh, a um, issue with the pancreas, the ability of the pancreas to regulate blood sugar with insulin production. Now, you can say uh, that alcoholism as one addiction, is a chronic, um, fatal, uh, and progressive disease. And it is. If you keep drinking in an alcoholic way, you will die statistically much earlier than other people and have very ill health. Same as diabetes. Untreated diabetes is, is fatal. you know, wildly yeah. fatal. Yeah. Um, however, uh, it doesn't have to define you. You can be a diabetic and manage it perfectly well. You just need to address your diet and your insulin every day. Addiction is very similar. It's completely manageable, but you need to either work your program or do some serious work on yourself to understand your triggers and what sets you off and what your emotional uh, soft spots are and avoid them. And that may mean, if you're an alcoholic, not going to bars. This is just common sense. Yeah. Uh, and taking responsibility... And, um, you know, many addicts just need to grow up, actually, and take responsibility for the consequences of their behavior because you choose the behavior and in doing so, you choose the consequence. Yes, I, I love that um, diabetes analogy, Anna. And I also like that you say it as, as it is, you know, part of the reason for addicts is just time to grow up. Well, for some of our listeners who may think that they are addicts or they know somebody who's addicted to some uh, to, to something, um, maybe it is time to seek help and, and, and do that change. Um, meanwhile, they can see you, Anna. Anna, tell us a little bit more about Counseling Confidential. Have you got a website and, and how can they find you? Counseling Confidential is my private practice where I, I'm, I'm a counsellor for many things, but especially addictions and relationship problems because addicts, I'm afraid, nearly always have a, a, a train wreck of, of relationships around yes. them that kind of goes with the territory. Uh, so I have a programme individually tailored for people. Um, I strongly recommend they also go to their 12-step programme as well. The more treatment they can get, the better. Um, counsellingconfidential.hk that's counsellingconfidential.hk we do group sessions face-to-face and online or face-to-face individual sessions as well a lot of people prefer online now I find and um, we can do more of those shorter ones more often actually with the online platforms exactly well meanwhile thank you so much for your time today and that's anna fenton the founder and the head counselor at counseling confidential a new private practice that specializes in all addictions here in hong kong thank you very much indeed